remove my jacket. It is a little bit toasty, at least for the time in the Word. As we look through um, the lens of, of Scripture at uh, man, at the psychology of man and how man is designed and made, uh, there are several aspects of a person that make up their life. Uh, one is that part of uh, our lives we would call the mind, where we store information, we have understanding and comprehension. Uh, there's also that part that uh, the Bible identifies as the heart, uh, where the will and the volition and our emotions flow out. Uh, we have a body, we are physical creatures as well, hands and feet, a mouthpiece and, and ears, these parts that God has given to us for his glory. Uh, there's uh, our spirit, the human spirit, that invisible or incorporeal part of us, uh, the soul, the whole of man. Well, the aspect of our lives that I want to draw our attention to in Proverbs this morning is man's social environment. Man was created as a social creature, therefore in need of relationship with other people. Uh, whether you consider yourself more of an extrovert and you are very inclined to spend much time with other people, or you're an introvert, you need a certain amount of time by yourself, uh, or you're a more outgoing person, or more of a homebody, God designed us for companionship and relationship with others. And we hear about this in the opening pages of the biblical story in Genesis. Uh, after God created new, each new aspect of creation, what does the text say? God saw it, and it was good. He creates the light, and it was good. The waters and the earth, it was good. The lights above, it was good. But then he creates man on the sixth day, the height of his creation, and he places him in the garden. And he calls man to cultivate that ground and to be obedient to the Lord. And then for the first time we hear the Lord said in Genesis 2.18, it is not good that the man should be alone. And so he creates Eve. And thus begins this social dimension of man's life. Well, the particular relationship to which I draw our attention is not the husband-wife relationship, but that which we call friendship, which may be husband and wife, hopefully, at a certain level, um, in Proverbs 18.24. So Proverbs 18.24, and this notion of friendship. This is what the text says. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Many of us are probably familiar with the media site uh, Facebook. Uh, what I'm about to say is all by way of research, not experience. I don't have a Facebook account. I never have. I, I probably never will. I'm not much of a uh, media or tech uh, kind of person, but... I've read in the early years of Facebook that the social media site capped the number of quote-unquote friends that you could have, which is language that Facebook uses, to 1,000 people, which was restrictive for some of us because 
I just have way more friends than that. Now, 1,000 people. Years later, they increased that to 5,000, and eventually they removed the restrictions altogether so you could have as many friends as you wanted. As of this past year, uh, Facebook has about, I believe, 70 million active users. And they distinguish between page followers, as I understand it, followers, those who can see another's postings, or some of them, from friends. Those who seem to have entered into closer community maybe have more access uh, to that person's information. There are some people with over a thousand friends, maybe some of you here. Uh, Some have even more than 5,000. If you're wondering who has the distinction of having the most friends, I believe it goes to a man named William Scott Goldberg, who is a professional wrestler. 6,223. Now, you might be wondering, why are we talking about this? Well, it might seem impressive for a person to have a whole lot of friends. But the question surfaces, what is a friend? What defines friendship? Biblically. And not only that, the first half of our text here in Proverbs seems at first glance to teach that having many friends or companions may bring a person to ruin. A man of many companions may come to ruin. What is the wise father and sage teaching us here? Well, I'd like to first define our terms in this text. You notice this verse has two lines. It's a parallel statement like many of the Proverbs. But in this case, the two lines are antithetical. They're being contrasted one with the other. Sometimes the second line of a proverb is reinforcing the first one. But here you see there is a contrast. I'm using the English Standard Version of the Bible. And the first line contains the word in the ESV, companion. A man of many companions may come to ruin. Where the second line uses the word friend. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrew, these two words are different. But listen, by way of example, to how these words are used in other parts of the Old Testament. The word companion in the first line is translated in the book of Exodus, chapter 33, verse 11, this way. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So it's the same word as companion. It can certainly be translated as friend. It's used over 40 times in the Old Testament. Sometimes, as we see in Proverbs, it can have a negative connotation but it also can have a very positive meaning, as we see from Exodus. The second word in Proverbs 18.24 is translated friend. And here we see it uh, used in Isaiah 41, verse 8, where the Lord says, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. Abraham there is referred to as a friend of God. So both words can be translated as friend, as we have seen here. And yet we see a difference in the use of these words. There's a contrast in what's being communicated here. 
So what does the wise sage mean by this contrast, by this text? Well, you look again at the first line. A man of many companions may come to ruin. Almost sounds like having a lot of friends could be a bad thing. But remember, this proverb does not make sense, and none of the proverbs really make sense unless it's taken as a whole, both lines together. Certainly, there is nothing wrong inherently with having many people in our lives. Family members, companions and friends, associates, acquaintances. But part of the key here in this text, and in other parts of the Proverbs, is that if you find yourself in a hard circumstance in life, you're going through a time of testing, you're down and out, you, you are facing a hardship. As the sage says, you're facing something that may bring you to ruin. That's the word. Then he wants us to know this very important principle that quantity of people will never replace quality of people. Quantity of people will never replace quality. In our own lives, and our families, in the church of Christ. That's part of the contrast, one of the aspects of contrast in the two lines. A man of many companions or friends. You have many people in your life, many friends, buddies, mates, many people on your team or in your squad. The many is contrasted with what? A friend. Singular. A friend. There's something different about this Singular friend. And what is it? This person, quote, sticks closer than a brother. Bruce Waltke says this, the man of typical friends, what he calls run-of-the-mill friends, is about to be ruined because he lacks one true friend in adversity. There's a friend who's a table companion, but will not stand by you in your day of trouble. And the proverbial wisdom of this text is so important and powerful because in it, God is communicating that there's a source, there's a means that, though may, may be rare, that we should be valuing, that we should be, I think we can say, pursuing and desiring because this source will help you. This source, we will see with other Proverbs, will help sanctify you and grow you in the Lord, will provide support for you, that you may need at a time in your life. People who will, a person who will stick with you in a time of trouble. And that is a true friend. Think about your own relational circle in your own life. The people in your life. Certainly, by way of illustration, the people who know you could be drawn or viewed like concentric circles. Narrowing more and more to a bullseye. There are, on that outside circle, some who know us, but from a distance. They know our name, their acquaintances, but it's from a distance. They're kind of on the periphery. They don't know our heart and our affections, our desires. Others move closer to the middle of that circle. Perhaps many family members, they know more about us but not necessarily intimate friends. And then some people are blessed to have one or two 
or even a few intimate friends who know them deeply, who we might say, they get me. They, they understand my heart. They understand how I tick, right? What motivates me in my life. And they know how to serve and bless that person. For some of us, God has given us a spouse who in a lot of ways may be serving in that kind of capacity or way. But I want us to listen to a few more Proverbs here about friendship. Proverbs 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Here, we're seeing a distinction between a true friend and a family member. A brother, a sister, a blood relative. This does not mean that a blood brother or family member can't be a true friend, but the distinction is made here in the nature of the relationship. One is chosen, one is obligatory. When a child falls down, they scrape their knee, a young child, and they're in tears, in pain, and they, they, they cry out to mom. They're confident that mom is going to extend help or dad is going to extend help, not only because perhaps they've experienced the love of their parent before, but because this is my mom. I can count on her. There's a family tie that I can rest upon, a kind of duty. You're supposed to help me out. You're my mom. You're my dad. And that's what it says, a brother family member, is born for adversity. When I first read that, I, I, I thought uh, that the purpose of a brother is to create conflict. Almost can come across that way. You may have felt that in your life. Yeah, I know why my brother's sister's in my life, to create problems. But rather, family is to be a kind of safety net. That's what's being communicated there. A brother's born for adversity. They may be more than that, Perhaps they should not be less, that is, family. That is contrasted with, quote, a friend who loves at all times. When someone loves you at all times, good times, bad times, up and down times, and they don't have to, but they choose to, because they're invested in you, that is a true friend. Certainly the practical question should surface for us. Do we have that kind of person in our life? Someone who's committed to loving you, not just out of duty or obligation or familial tie, but because they're invested in you. Listen to a couple more Proverbs. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. This also is a part of true friendship. Not only someone who's going to accept you and affirm you, but someone who's going to be forthright, who's going to say those hard things. A kind of loving honesty. And this is, it seems to me, part of what is to be setting the church of Jesus Christ apart from the world. We live in a society increasingly defined by moral relativism. As a result, 
Love and, and friendship simply means I not only accept you for who you are, but no matter what you believe, what you say, what you think, it's just fine. That's where moral relativism leads. But the wise father is wanting more for us than that. Which is why we hear in another proverb, similarly, perhaps the most well-known proverb in the whole book. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Chapter 27, verse 17. The world is dull morally in its character because it is so much about affirmation and so little about transformation. But God desires for us to be sharp for him. That's part of what he's after. Ray Ortland writes this, A real friend will provoke you and challenge you. You won't agree with everything your friend says, but you will want to listen. We all need that. Our various family backgrounds have left every one of us at least a little weird. I like that. Amen. So we need an honest friend from outside the tightly knit family to round us out. We all need to be able to go to another and say, help me see myself. Help me get sharper for Christ. And if there's no person who can play that role, the problem is probably you. I think one of the reasons that uh, it's easy to lack this kind of friendship is something that C.S. Lewis noted in in his work, The Four Loves. And he essentially said that the most unnatural love is the friendship love. It's the most unnatural. You think about the relationships that exist in a person's life. Love for parent or for child is natural. It's born out of a familial tie. That's my child. Because of that, I love them. There's something natural about that. A love between a husband and wife is more natural as passion and affection are so often a human drive. But this brotherly, sisterly, friendship love is not as natural. And it seems like we can seek to go on without it. That's why it has to be pursued. That's why there has to be intention about it. Because in a a sense, we don't need that friend, we conclude to ourselves. We don't need that person. Financially, I don't need them. We can thrive without them. Socially, we may believe to have all the people we need in life. The social pie of my life is filled up enough. Theologically, God may provide us teachers, preachers, a heart for his word and truth. We may not need that person, we think, in our minds. But I think without a friend that Proverbs is speaking about, we're going to miss out on a means, a source that God desires to use to sharpen us and sanctify us. Some of us may have that true friend in our lives, or a few, and that's a blessing. Keep investing in that. Others of us may not have that. And I think a key is to think not, well, who will that person be for me? But rather to think, how might I be a true friend to someone else? 
How might I invest and initiate in that kind of relationship? You don't have to wait for it. We can be that person for another. Isn't that what our Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated in the lives of his people, all his people? If you're a believer in the Lord, whether you have many of these kinds of friends, few of them or none at all, the most important point this morning is that there is a true friend in Jesus Christ. Christ is the dearest friend of all, and there is none like him. We've already sung about it this morning. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. In a little bit, we're going to sing another hymn on friendship. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me, but he, my Savior, makes me whole. It's not just in the hymns that we sing. It's from the very words of Christ himself. One of the most powerful references to Christ as a friend comes in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus himself is quoting his accusers and those who are antagonistic against him. And Jesus says, For the Son of Man came, and they say of him, Look at him, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They're saying, look at him, a friend of the most ungodly and wretched people. And yet, as the crowds call him a friend of sinners as a kind of indictment, that label friend is a great comfort for those who know themselves to be sinners. To be a friend here means Jesus willingly, lovingly draws near to those who will accept him and receive him that he will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. He knows our sin. He knows our weakness. And yet he forgives and he loves us and he enjoys our presence. But there's more to this friendship. We see another text and reference Jesus makes to friendship in John chapter 15 in the farewell discourse with his disciples where he says, No longer do I call you servants, For the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus is a friend to us. We should be cautioned about overly domesticating Jesus. He is a friend, but he is unlike any earthly friend. This is the one who in Revelation has a sword coming out of his mouth, the one who comes in judgment and righteousness. This is the one who is king of all kings, the supreme and sovereign Lord, Lord of all lords. Yet he comes to us whom he has called and redeemed, and he says, you're not just servants, you're friends. I've made known to you the very center of my purposes. Remember the depiction of the risen Christ in Revelation chapter 3, where Jesus is speaking to a group of poor, wretched sinners, and he says to them, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, what does Christ do? I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Our Lord uh, desires to be 
with us and to enjoy fellowship and meals together, communion together. And when by His grace that door is opened, this is a friend like any other, unlike any other, because He will never leave you. Remember Paul and his final words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, while in prison, and he said, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. All deserted me. But the Lord stood by me. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. He will rescue me and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. As faithful and loving as any husband, wife, brother, sister, deacon, elder, pastor, earthly friend, might be, they will not always be there. They will not always be there. They will at times let you down. But not our dearest friend, the Lord Jesus Christ. Just want to close with these words from the Puritan uh, Richard Sibbs. He writes, As his friendship is sweet, so it is constant in all conditions. If other friends fail, as friends may fail, yet this friend will never fail us. If we be not ashamed of him, he will never be ashamed of us. How comfortable would our life be if we could draw out the comfort that this title of friend affords? It is a comfortable, a fruitful, and eternal friendship. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, how we thank you for the grace that you shed abroad in our hearts, that you have engaged us with that close communion and friendship. We pray, O oh Lord, that that fellowship with you would be strengthened by your spirit, by your grace, and by your word. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would open doors of new relationship, deeper relationship, one with another in the body of Christ, and Lord, that you would... Um, be merciful to us in that way, that we would be sharpened for your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in His name. Amen.